Well, it helps when you turn the mic on. Yeah, there you go. Oh, there we go. I see our uh, Fellowship Center audience. Good morning. How about a little cheer over there just so we know you're alive? I, mean, I can see them in the monitor. Yeah, you can't see, see them. How about let them know them. you're over here? How let about a little? Know, yeah. There you go. Uh, yeah. Woo! Yeah. One church, two services, actually three and four if you actually, count the live four. stream. That's we got exactly live right. stream. We got a university started back today. And, uh, of course, uh, uh, two here. Wow. A lot going on now. There's a lot going on. Is that somebody wearing a Florida Gator shirt on the, on the front row? Expel that, brother. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I don't, I'm not sure what he's wearing. I can't see him that well. <laughs> Welcome, you guys. We're so glad you're here. I wanted to share with you, Mike, yeah, I haven't showed you this yet. So Mindy Lancaster gave me this. Uh, it says, uh, be careful or you will end up in my sermon. That's what this coffee mug says. So... <laughs> There's never been more truth than that, right? You never know. Always looking for a good sermon illustration. That's exactly right. <laughs> so, uh, again, we're excited uh, to have everybody here today. Uh, we're excited that uh, WFRU is, is cranked back up as well. Uh, man, God is good. And the worship today was so fantastic and amazing. Uh, I, I hate that I can't be in two places at one time or three, uh, but it's a blessing to be standing before you today. Let's have our, our scripture reading uh, this morning from Ella Bright. Heard loudly in the house. Thank you, Ella. It's good to see you again, brother, always and all of you. So back in January, Mike and I uh, wanted to make 2020 a year that we made the case for Jesus. And as it's turned out, unbeknownst to us or any of us for that matter, uh, this has turned about turned out to be a year where we needed Jesus more than we need anything else. Amen. Mm. I mean, that's what we see in our culture. That's what we see is going to bring us together. That's going to be able to heal divisions and heal anything in our land. It's going to be a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'd like to say that uh, Al and I have, you know, we're prophetic. We could see all this coming, and we picked this book. But no, it never works that way, does it? <laughs> it does. Uh, it just. God works in your study and in the things that you do. And so when we picked the book of John and started preaching through it, because it's a book that shows us who Jesus is and how to have a relationship with him, and it makes all the difference in the world. I feel like we're kind of at, it feels almost like a, a crossroads or, or a new beginning because we've been not able to meet, obviously, for a long time. We haven't stopped anything. Uh, the gospel's still gone out. Obviously, we're still preaching, and you guys are still uh, do what you do every day. It's just things have changed. But at the same time, there is something that's different, right, that'll be different from going forward. And uh, Clay McConnell and I were talking this week, and, you know, we were talking about, you know, when the Red Sea uh, was parted, and God delivered that great victory. And it seemed like just it was finally over because as the water washed over all those Egyptians. Now it's like, OK, we have our future in front of us and everything's great and we don't have to worry about anything anymore. But that's not what happened. Right. I mean, they still had 39 plus years in the desert. They still had to conquer the land of Canaan. There was so much to be done. And Mike and I feel strongly about that today. We, we celebrate that we're able to meet together again, but we're just at the starting point of the rest of our lives in Christ to do something to make a difference. And so while we may be delivered from 16 weeks of meeting together, we still got a lot of work that needs to be done. And, you know, uh, the, the events that's happened, the pandemic, the unrest in our country, all those just uh, accentuate even more the need for us to be about the business of staying focused on the gospel. Because the answer to people who feel hopeless when they're trapped 
is the good news of Jesus. And the answer to people who are in unrest and, and, and where there's violence and where those kinds of things are happening, the answer is still Jesus. And so examining who he is, and, and, and here's what gets me out. Sometimes it seems like there's a simple answer out there when you look at God's word, but the crowd out in the world, they don't get it. That's right. The crowd misses the point when they don't look to God's word for the answer. So to kind of reset, we're in John chapter six uh, today, and we're going to be in verse 60 uh, eventually. But I'm kind of want to reset it for you, what we've been talking about the last few weeks, because we spent quite a bit of time in John six. A lot of things happen there. As we know, there's this large crowd that's now been attracted to Jesus. And a part of that crowd is some committed people that he calls his disciples. And that's more than just the twelve. So you got the crowd, then you've got a group inside that that's committed. I mean, they believe Jesus is who he said he is. And then you've kind of got that core, uh, which is the 12. And so as Jesus is teaching them and Jesus is kind of rebuking them at some point, that's who he's looking at. And so when you look at the response to what he's been telling them, you see three things. In verse 15 of chapter 6, you see exultation. I mean, they got so excited about what he was saying that they wanted to make him king by force, which is kind of ridiculous when you think about it. But that's how pumped up they were about it. I mean, their bellies were full of bread and fish. This guy, you know, maybe he is who he says he is. And so let's make him king and let's take over and let's kick the Romans out. Everybody's excited. And then there was investigation in verse 24. They they wanted to know more and they started asking questions. Unfortunately, they were asking all the wrong questions. What works? do we need to do? What signs will you continue to show us? They missed his point, which brings us to what we're going to be talking about today. Ultimately, for most of that crowd and most of those committed disciples, they rejected Jesus. So think about this for a minute. You've seen Jesus do these miraculous things. Uh, you've been a part of hearing his message about eternal life and the bread of life, and you'll never go hungry again. And yet, somehow or another, you can go from all the way from we're going to make him king all the way to we're not going to have anything to do with you just like that. That's how quick a crowd can turn around. Just that quick. And yet, all of a sudden, the, change, uh, the challenge is going to come. This, this crowd mentality, uh, I, I've seen it uh, out on TV recently. Yeah. You know, uh, the, the protests in our, in our country, and we have the right to protest, we have the right to get up and say, and, and those kind of things. And yet, somebody comes in and hijacks a crowd and takes it into a whole other direction that all of a sudden you're in it and you wake up saying, wait a minute, I, I didn't mean to go this far. Right. People get carried away. You'll do things in a crowd you would never, never do on your own. And yet, you've got a whole crowd here that they're ready to make him king, and then all of a sudden, now they're deserting. The very one that fed them. Do you remember how it started? First, there was some grumbling. You're, you came from heaven. What's all that? I thought you were Joseph and Mary. So who, who, do, you, who do you think you are? So the grumbling begins. Then they began to argue sharply because he began saying, you need to feast on me and quit worrying about food. It's me. It's me. It's me. And he kept pointing them to himself. And, they, and now, all of a sudden, you see this contagion that starts in the crowd and goes right to the committed and even begins to affect the core, the 12 that Jesus had picked out. You see, it should be the opposite. The core should affect the committed and then affect the crowd. That's the way it's supposed to work. That's what we're supposed to do as disciples. But many times you get swept up in this. I love it when Jesus said the words to them in verse 60. He said, on hearing this, his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. 
Who can accept it? In other words, maybe they're right. Aware that his disciples were now grumbling. See what's happened with the crowd contagion? Now the committed ones are grumbling. And Jesus says to them, does this offend you? And I love that. Mike, tell them about what that word well, means. Well, the, uh, the idea behind originally the, the Greek word comes from a word. You remember like a, a trap where you would set a stick? We, we always picture a, a stick up holding a box up, you know, and the animal comes and kicks the stick and he's trapped. All right, it's that same uh, basic root word there for offend. It's the idea that, that, that there's this hard teaching. It's not hard because it's hard to intellectually understand. It's hard because it's challenging their life morally, how to live. And all of a sudden, they, they don't want to go that route. And so they, uh, Jesus said, does this offend you? Basically, is this trapped you? They got trapped in the idea that all of a sudden, I can't live the way that he's challenging me to live. And you feel trapped by his teaching instead of being released and rescued by his teaching. But because they had the wrong view of it anyway. They had the whole physical view. We're going to force you to be a king. We're going to eat your flesh and eat your blood, and that's that's a hard. Well, that's hard to understand if you're trying to take it literally. But Jesus is going to explain explain that this is a spiritual teaching about life, and that His words are bringing spirit and life, and they can have they can have great great rescueability to your heart and soul. But instead of getting that message, they felt offended and felt trapped by the very teachings of Jesus. Remember that scene in Acts 14 where Paul and Barnabas are there and Paul heals this you know person who has been crippled. And the Greeks who were there and saw this, they were like, I mean, they couldn't believe it. And so all of a sudden this huge crowd forms and they want to make them gods. They like, Zeus is here and Hermes is here. We're going to, you know, bow down and worship. And Paul and Barnabas are like, no, 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 wait a minute. We're just men. Don't do that. Well, you get to verse 19 and some Jews showed up and stirred the crowd And guess what happened? We went from being gods to goons in one setting. That's what happens with crowds. And so they stoned Paul, left him for dead, thought he was dead outside the city. That's what happens with a crowd mentality. I mean, one minute, it's great, we're on board, yay! You know, it's hand claps and we're excited. The next minute, we're ready to kill somebody. That's what happened with this crowd. That's why you have to be very careful when it comes to crowds and crowd thinking, crowd mentality. We've seen it. Over and over the last few weeks, people come out for some reason that they thought they were doing, and then all of a sudden it becomes something very, very different. That's what happens with a crowd mentality. It's certainly what happens here. Look, you cannot lead people to the will of God by bending to their wills and demands. That's right. It never works that way. God calls us to bend our wills, to bow our knee to him. And so that means sometimes, uh, and most of the time, the teachings of Christ are going to always be counterculture. They're going to always rub against how the world lives. So I'm not real surprised that the world responds in a worldly way. Are you? I don't expect the world to act like Christians. But now for us, as God's people, we're challenged in the middle of a broken world. He tells us how to live in a way that's going to bring salt and light to a dark place that desperately needs the salt and light of the man called Jesus. So one of the things I learned from this is when you grumble with grumblers, you're a grumbler. (laughs) That's what happens. That's what happened here, right? So how does Jesus respond? Because we have somebody, he's asking the question, are you offended? 
So in our culture today, when somebody says they're offended, what do we do? Oh, we start apologizing and, and we start trying to change the names of things and we do this. And we, the last thing we want is somebody offended. How does Jesus respond to offense? Look at verse 62. What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Because remember, his claim was is that I came from heaven. What if you see me go back? Now, I love it because Jesus knows he's going to go back. And he knows that the core, 11 out of that 12, are going to see him go back. He's just throwing that out there. What if I go back without a rocket ship? That's what he was saying. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. You're only worried about the flesh. He keeps trying to get them to the spiritual and to see it. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. In other words, listen to me. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and that they would betray. See, he knew. He knew the ones that said the words. Oh, this sounds good. But the heart wasn't there. That's why he's always the judge, by the way, and not us. Because he knows what's inside. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. Jesus is about seekers. Hearts that are open to him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. It was a sad day. They walked away knowing the Savior, God in flesh, standing before him. And they said, nope, won't work for me. By the way, don't miss this verse that Al read up here earlier in verse 66. The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. Look what he says. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Where do we find those words? These words that Jesus spoke to his disciples, where are those? They're right here. He left them for us. The words that are spirit and life are right here in the living Word of God. And it's amazing to me that the creator of the universe who gives us words to live by, who made us and knows what's best for us, that sometimes to learn how to live life, this is the last place we look. Yet this is the these are the words that give spirit and life. So what are we doing looking at all these other places thinking somehow or another we'll find life there? Life is found in the words of Christ. And we still have those very words right here in this book. And when he says something here that's really unique, he says that they rejected and they turned around and they left. And he calls them disciples. So understand something right here in the context. There are different levels of intensity in being a disciple. They're a disciple because what? They're listening, they're learning, they're following Jesus. But they don't take it all the way to the commitment these other guys have. And so all of a sudden when their life is challenged, it becomes a different story. It is a very sad thing when you look out and people, and, 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 and I know you've experienced this, somebody, somebody you love, somebody you reconnect with, you've known a long time ago, they used to follow Christ, and, and maybe there's some sense of still following, but you, you've watched them kind of turn around and walk the opposite way. You have anybody like that you know, by the way? You would love to see them make a turn and find their passion all over again. The other question is, is that you? Have I lost my heart and my passion for the one that gave me life? And which, which group am I in? Am I in this grumbling group of Jewish leaders trying to trap? Am I in the crowd that followed for a while and lost their passion? Or am I going to be all in no matter what 
the people do around me. And that becomes the challenge for them that day. Have you noticed that crowds tend to thin when the commitment is thick? When you're asked to follow, to go all in, crowds thin. See it happen all the time. It happens in churches, unfortunately. You have a choice. I'm either all in for Jesus or I'm just a part of a group that comes and meets, whatever. When are we getting out? When do we get to lunch? We don't want that. Look what Jesus said in verse 67. He looks at his now 12, the core, and he says, you do not want to leave, do you? And, you know, this is a, a humbling moment to me to think of the Son of God looking at these men that he loves, that he chose, that have followed him from the beginning. And he says, are you leaving too? I mean, that's the humility of our Savior. He loves these guys. Peter, once again, good old ADD, Peter, he's either on target or way off like many of us. This time he was on. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where would I go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter got it. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. You see where faith leads you? When you believe in the Son of God, then that becomes the knowledge by which you see everything else. That's what happens. That's how powerful your faith is. And it can guide you to anything and everything. And the whole world can be turned upside down. And yet you know who you are and what you believe. That's the power of Jesus Christ. That's what he did for these men. And that's what he does for us. So when we look at this idea of really Jesus Jesus doing math different than we do. You know, if you're in a typical uh, evangelical church and you start losing a big part of your 5,000 crowd... Everybody starts asking, what do we do to get people back? That's, their, that's, that's the way they do math. Jesus doesn't do that. He does math the other way around. His is about narrowing the deal. By the way, that's what he taught Matthew, right? The way to eternal life, that's a narrow road. Uh, it, it's not a broad one. It's not a big, there's, not a, there's not the crowd. Uh, it's not coming down the narrow, narrow pike. They're not headed that way. Jesus does math a little different. And he finally gets down to these 12, and, and oh, does he challenge their life. But I love the fact that when you look at the entire life of Christ, you watch how he shaped these guys' lives in their interaction with one another. There's something very, very important about us being available to God, to God's Word, and to God's people to, to form relationships that will strengthen us. As we, that's why we do small groups. Look, where else are you going to practice all the one another verses of the Bible? You can't do them in an assembly. Where do you practice that? That's a daily thing as a disciple of Christ, and that's a needed thing. And so here at this crossroads of being back together, we make a lot of assumptions. We assume that we'll continue to be able to meet. We don't know what's going to happen. I mean... The virus still is around. Numbers are spiking. People are unsure. But we're sure about Jesus Christ. And we're sure is where we want to go as a church. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, in a, and I was here in a staff meeting, and Josh Hudnell gave us a passionate you know, a speech, I guess, of what God had put on his heart about what he wanted to do with groups and ways to disciple. And it was just so great. And I was like, Josh, I want our whole church to hear that. 
And so we're about to. We've got a video. I want you to listen to Josh's heart in a way that we can get involved and be disciples as we move forward. Good to be back, finally back with our forever family. I know over the last few months, uh, I've experienced just about every emotion you could possibly experience, right? You know, being home with family, that, that nice family time we had to about a month into that, it's like, man, I might need a little break. And finally about that third month, I'm about ready to get out of here. And it's finally good that we can come together with our forever family and really unite and be back in community. But knowing that, coming back to this family we have now, we also have a new normal that we're going to be looking to coming this fall. And some of the things that I've been experiencing through this quarantine time is, you know, what was I doing to better prepare myself to become a disciple of Christ? Because I lost my normal, right? I grew up going to church, you know, on a consistent basis. And that always felt like the right thing to do. And when that was taken away, it really challenged me on what did I need to do to do different and to continue to grow in my relationship with Christ. When you look through the Bible, you see Christ. You know, he spent a lot of time with his 12 disciples we always talk about the Sermon on the Mount. We talk about him feeding the 5,000, the times he spent you know, chastising the Pharisees. But what about the hours on the road when he's with his disciples or the campfires when they sat around and just taught? How about the times when Christ you know, called out Peter for being a, a knucklehead or, or Matthew for being narcissist and, and being rude and Luke being the smart guy in the room? What about those times? To me, that was where real discipleship happened. In their lives, and which empowered those men to really change the world when they went, when they went out and shared the gospel with everybody. And so, when we come back to this new normal, that's some of the thought processes that I began to take on and want to want to put into our small groups. I love church. I love our community groups. I love our ministries, and those are great places to start. But I want to take us to a deeper level. I want to really grow us into a real discipleship of Christ. Because that's where we really find out our men and women that are going to rise up and really impact this church and change the world. So coming this fall, we're starting to look into ways how that's going to happen. We're trying to develop different models, you know, different groups that you could be a part of outside of the church building. You know, things like going golfing, you know, developing a golf team. You don't have to be the best golfer in the world, but there's a lot of discipline that can go on in four hours of golfing, especially if you're not really good, because you're going to get a lot of harsh criticism to get your game better. But there's also a lot of opportunity in that time to really just talk and connect. It may be hunting or fishing. It may be reading a book. It may be riding a bike. Who knows? Whatever available, what, whatever it is you like to do, we want to encourage you to invite somebody to be a part of that. And we're going to take that and incorporate in everything else we do with our rooted groups, our community groups, our Bible study groups, and all that. And my hope is by the end of this journey, we're going to develop more men and women to step up and rise up. Man, we've been blessed in this church. We've been blessed to continue to do a lot of good work here. Every day of the week here is always taken up with some fun activity, something going on. People's lives are being changed. We need more men and women to rise up to help us in these journeys because there's a lot of people, especially during this time, that need help. So be looking forward to this fall when we come out with, with some of these ideas and, and how you can participate and some of the ideas you may have yourself. We're open to all of it. But God bless. I am so thankful to be back with my forever family. Thank you, Josh. Yeah, give me applause. Um, we want to close with a, a final warning because of the end of this text. And it's a reminder uh, to all of us who are disciples of Jesus. If you look at verse 70, Jesus replies after Peter has made this confession that they're going to go with him. Have I not chosen you, the twelve? 
And then he said, yet one of you is a devil. He met Judas, John would tell us, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. One of the things we have to always remember is that the evil one is active. He hasn't gone anywhere. Even though he knows ultimately he's been defeated by Christ, even though he knows he can't claim us because the fear of death and sin have been released because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, even though he knows that, he still knows how to tempt men and women and turn their hearts away from Jesus. I mean, Judas was right there. He heard all the sermons. He saw all the miracles. He was a part of the inner core. We know his character wasn't great. He was stingy and he was greedy and all the things that were there. But he didn't make the final call until the night before Jesus died. And then it said Satan entered him. And that was it. Think about that. He was four days away from the resurrection. To be able to witness what the other 11 saw. He was, he was 44 days away from seeing the Lord ascend, just like he said he would. He missed it because he underestimated the evil one. The evil one may be working on you. It may be something different than Judas, but you know he's working on you. And when you give in to him, you walk away when maybe the moment is right around the next corner. The great resurrection. The word for devil there that, that Diabolos, it's, it's the slanderer. You know, he's the father of all lies. He wants to give us a message. He wants to give me a message and you a message that's totally untrue about Jesus. And it's totally untrue about our times and, and our culture and that you can actually live for God and make a difference in this world. He loves to make people feel hopeless. He causes division. That's right. He loves to see people addicted to things that take them away from their focus on the king. He's anything but for the kingdom. If he can get you to be uh, uh, lukewarm and not aggressive and not and not have no passion for Christ and go to church, he would love to have you at that point. He loves to have victory, especially among God's people. But I'm telling you, based on the resurrection and the power of Jesus Christ, the devil gets no victory out of this room today. That's right. Amen. No victory. Yes. Because we know from the words of Christ that give us life that because he was raised from the dead, regardless of what happens, I, whether I die of the COVID or, or whatever takes place, it doesn't matter. My body's coming out of the ground. And so there's great hope that we have to give to people who are feeling very, very hopeless. And there's a great message of peace to give to people who are feeling unsettled and have unrest in their life. So of all times, the church should be poised and ready to go right now to make a great impact in our culture. And I believe the kingdom of God, like in the New Testament times, where it says, was advancing forcefully by forceful men. It's time for the kingdom of God to advance again. So the gospel call goes out today for all of us. Maybe for the first time to become a Christian, to believe, to commit, to make him your Lord with that verbal saying, I want you to be my Lord. I believe in you. And then to follow through with that commitment, to say, I'm all in. We got water behind me. You haven't been baptized. Man, now's the time to reenact the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. What a blessing we have today. We're going to have some folks down front in this room and also over in the Fellowship Center as well. If you need to come forward for any reason, we want to give you that opportunity as we stand and as we sing.